This is Voyage Around My Arga, a light-hearted conversation about home, family, people's lives, seasonal living, inspirational ideas, and of course, Argus. In a jam-packed episode, we're joined by Jenny Jeffries, author of For the Love of the Land and the upcoming For the Love of the Sea, whose mission is to support local farmers and fishermen. Plus, we highlight the... Anemone. And have some fun with mispronunciation. Well, here we are at episode 10. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm very well. How is everybody and all our listeners? Well, leave a comment and let us know. We'd like some more reviews and comments, please. Have you had a good week? Yeah. Busy, Izzy's back at school, Izzy's isn't back she? at school. Busy, busy. She went back on Monday um, and I think she had a lovely day. It was just the uh, GCSE year and lower six and upper six. And the teachers were so pleased to see them. I think the teachers have really missed the children. A school without children in it is just horrible. You know, they go into this for, you know, because they love young people. Yeah. Um, and as you said, it, it was so lovely to see and a couple of their teachers are pregnant. So, of course, they've got big baby bumps and, you know, it's just they're just pleased to see their friends. Yeah. You know, they haven't hung out with people of their age since before Christmas. And I don't want to go on about the mental health, but they need to socialise. Yes. You know, she, Izzy said it was quite funny. We were sitting talking and she said there would be these long silences. We'd forgotten the art of conversation. She said, we're going to all have to socialise again and get used to how we do it. You know, she said, if you don't use it, you forget. I mean, I was in a, I was in Wilco's and um, I was all kind of like, didn't know what other to... Other shops are available. And I was trying to pay and I was getting all flustered because I had my mask on and my glasses teamed up and I'm just so unused to doing things now because you do everything online. Yes, I know. Stephen loves shopping. I'd gone way past that. I mean, I was doing a lot of stuff online anyway, but now and I, I don't see any need to necessarily go back. What I miss is I like going to the greengrocers. I like going to the butchers. Well, you would like... never have discovered Kaylets, would you? I would not. I would not. No. So I want to continue to support those local. But that is it. It is supporting local. Yes, which we're going to talk about a lot more, actually. Yes. In yes. In today's episode, um, because a little later on, we're going to be talking to Jenny Jeffries, leading a project and created a project called For the Love of the Land and For the Love of the Sea, which we'll be talking about in much more detail a little later. But one of the things that actually was quite was was interesting after last week when we were recording is when we got to the end bit in our close and Charlotte made a, a comment about not really being How did you remember, remember all that? Or the, the, the details. And we started talking about telephone numbers because I don't know any telephone numbers anymore. I don't even know Stephen's mobile number. No. But because then I you think... never have to dial it. No. You just do it on on favourites or you've got it Press in the name, you yes. don't actually have to remember it. Even my house phone now, I've programmed the sort of the children and husband, the top, you know, my mum, top ones, you just press a button. But do you do you know their individual mobile numbers? Uh, no. It's terrible. But then saying that, when we were children and you had the love rotary phone and the, was it Baker? Not oh. what, um, what they made out of Bakelite. Yes, they were. Um, and those lovely iconic yes. um, phones. But then we only had three-digit numbers. Did so you? Course, yes. We lived in a village. I was West Lull with 235. And I knew all, all my friends. I mean, I can list. The, and I mean, I actually, because we were laughing about this, and I sent Stephen a, a text message and just said 235. And he went, yeah, West Lull, if that was your old home phone number. He remembers them all. Well, the funny thing is, I think I can remember 
our phone number. So when I was a bit, when I, between when I was, I think, 11 and, and, and 14, which I think was Port Z, which is outside Bristol, Port Z 848632. I'm pretty sure that was it. And did you have your telephone voice? So when you answered the phone, I would say Westlaw with 235. <laughs> would you remember? How can I help you? Do you remember when, did you used to have a, a telephone seat? In the hallway? No, no. We were quite lucky because we had it on a long lead. So mum could go over to the Okay, hooker. now, that's like really American. unusual because yeah. we used to watch um, all those American shows. I remember on the sitcoms and and, if, and they used to have those really, really long leads on the on the phone. So they could wander around mm-hmm. and we were restricted to sitting in the, no, in the hall on the, the, top of the telephone seat. But then it would get... So twisted because the kinks would, curls yes. would go onto each other. But no, I can probably, off the top of my head, in fact, I wrote down a few. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I, oh, eight. I can remember eight West Lulworth numbers off the top of my head. You don't know any of your friends' numbers? No, now. and I struggle I with my postcode. It, it, it is, it's, it's shocking. It's mm. shocking, really. Because if I, you know, if I broke down or was somewhere and I needed Stephen and I didn't have my mobile with him, I don't know the number to call no, I, I could probably just about get there if I thought yeah. about it. But it is terrible. But some people can remember their whole credit card numbers, that long number that they ask you. And in fact, I should remember it because I use it enough times. Well, as Stephen will tell you, numbers aren't my strong point. No, I'm not really mine. No, I wasn't. I wasn't really a maths whiz. Or were you not? No. You see, I did. <laughs> I did a. <laughs> I did physics. Oh, when I tried to do physics O level, and and I failed my maths exam the first time round and had to go and retake it and scrape through from the skin of my teeth. But physics, I think I got something like the lowest mark ever in the mock exam. So <laughs> did you do the? Um, <laughs> what well, they weren't. They weren't. Jeez, what were they? Because it was O levels at the time. No, and CS, uh, CSE. CSEs. No, I did math CSE. Oh, all I did all the other O levels. But then when I went to college and I did my BTEC, we did statistics, and I loved statistics because I could, and I was good at it, and I because I could understand the point of what you were trying to do. You could relate. And there, was, there was there was a an application for it that I could I could understand. But it's oh my god! I was telling the children about the book that we had for the logarithms, which of course they all do it on a calculator. You'd have this book, and you'd have to look it up. Why? Why? Just going back to the rotary phones. Stephen and I—I remember we were were in a museum somewhere. We were on holiday, and there was a little museum, and they had in there this rotary phone, and there were this group of kids stood around it, just looking at it, thinking. How do we work it? What on earth is that? How does that work? That lovely clicking. Oh, I used to love that clicking yes. noise and then you'd hear it almost click into the exchange yes. yeah well my, mo- my mother I, my mother was was a receptionist it used to be one of those switchboards where you pulled the wires out and stuck them in to connect people i mean it was fascinating it was fascinating absolutely fascinating <laughs> In 2020, the book For the Love of the Land was published, which celebrated farmers and their food through a collection of recipes and stories from all over the British Isles. Next month, the sequel For the Love of the Sea is published, showcasing the incredible seafood community in the UK alongside their favourite fish and seafood. A couple of days ago, Charlotte and I spoke with the author Jenny Jeffries about this fantastic project. 
Jenny didn't grow up in a farming or fishing community, so we started by asking her about her inspiration for the initiative. Yeah, it's been amazing, exciting, quite an emotive journey. I don't come from a fam um, farming family background at all. I married my farming husband, John, and we live in a little village uh, called Little Gransden in South Cambridgeshire with our two daughters. And I came from an urban environment, such as St Albans, with pavements and restaurants on your doorstep right. into a more rural one and I became a farmer's wife um, and it definitely has its unique challenges um, and yeah I was really inspired by the first harvest that I ever witnessed about seven year years ago and it, I was just really amazed at the hard graft and, and just the amazing passion that really goes into producing just a bowl of cereal or a loaf of bread for our kitchen tables and I really wanted to share John's story and my story as well and really celebrate farming British farming as we see it and so it's a, it's an arable farm is that right that's right it's an arable farm we grow um, rapeseed beans wheat barley spring barley and yeah and it's basically an arable farm which which doesn't have animals Right. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for explaining that. <laughs> so, so then you had the idea for for the love of the land. So, how did that come about? So, I was um, the cookbook came about when I was weaning my now daughter, who's five years old, uh, when she was six months, and I had a revolving kitchen door, and I was feeding my husband, who was going up and down the fields all day on his tractor, and I was thinking to myself, what on earth? am I going to feed my new family? I didn't really have anywhere to go to. And I thought it would be wonderful to sort of celebrate um, British farming stories, as well as having a cookbook to make it really accessible. Because I, what I really wanted to do was to bridge the gap between producer and consumer, city and country, to educate and inform in, a, in an interesting, entertaining and hopefully an accessible way, such as the cookbook. So how did you then go about finding all the farmers to contribute? So it all kicked off with a meeting that my husband had. He's a director of Cam he's a farming director of Camgrain and he had a meeting with Minette Batters well he had a meeting at which Minette Batters the president of the National Farmers Union was going to be at and so I had written a letter asking her if she wouldn't mind writing the forward to the book bearing in mind that there was no title there was hardly a synopsis of the book it was very much an early part of the whole process and I gave that letter to John to give to Minette Batters and she came back with a resounding yes which was just incredible fantastic and I really think it was her her involvement at such an early on stage in the process that really added credibility to it and really did help further on down the road in twisting the arms of all these farmers to be in the book. And eventually word did get out about the book and farmers started asking me to be in it, which was incredibly flattering and incredible. So I'm forever indebted to Minette Batters, I have to say. <laughs> Fantastic. And then and how did you go about finding the publisher? Because, you know, it's 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 you know, there's a lot of people who want to get published and it's hard to find a publisher, I think. And, you know, there's a lot of competition um, and you're with a very res well respected publisher as well, which is fantastic. Yes, I'm with Mese Publishing and they have been amazing, really amazing. Um, one of the publishers I went to actually wanted to turn the book into more of a feminism book about farmers' wives specifically. And that wasn't what the book is about. It's, it encapsulates the whole farming story with the whole family. And of course, there are women farmers out there as well. And I felt it really important to get their story across. 
across. So um, with Meze Publishing, they're so passionate about food and they're very well known for their regional cookbooks and other cookbooks, of which I've got the Cambridgeshire cookbook. Um, and so they were brilliant and they were very patient with me and we hooked up straight away pretty much. And yeah, they're very talented and they have fantastic food photographers who they work with such as Paul Gregory, who took the picture of the front cover. He not only um, shoots the pictures of the food and also the people behind it, but he also makes the dishes as well, which is just oh, incredible. <laughs> so, so you've got yeah. a built-in tester. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, a good tasting tester and, and recipe <laughs> taster as well. So, yeah, really, really grateful to Mose. They've been wonderful. And did you have any issues with um, a lot of repetition in re recipes? Or was it that actually that, that you know, farmers were, at, were giving you a real variety of different recipes to choose from? Yeah, indeed. We didn't have any duplicates or anything like that. And I think it's because we have such a diverse array of produce in this country, which I really wanted to share and celebrate. So as I was compiling the book, I was very aware of asking which farmers produce what food and nine times out of ten they contributed a recipe that really showcases their produce so yeah we didn't have any duplicates or anything like that it was that part was very very straightforward so very fortunate actually and did you have to do a lot of research into understanding what the specialists were in each in because obviously it does vary in parts of the country as well doesn't it about you know what can be grown what can be farmed um and and what is most effective in, the, in that part of the country did you have to do a lot of research and understanding of therefore what was going to be strong in those areas Definitely. I remember going out for dinner one evening with John and we sat down together and we made a list of all the different produce in different regions of the country. And I definitely wanted to encapsulate the whole of the British Isles. And we, I drew a map and started locating all the farmers that we were asking and the different produce that goes with each locations. So, yeah, very much so. There was a lot of research that went into it. Well, I, I have to say, I mean, I do, I would recommend to anyone to get the book. It's fabulous. And my favourite and the one that immediately grabbed my attention was a slow roast four rib of beef, which is in a mustard and, and horseradish sauce, which you slow cook for 15 to 22 hours, which to me just looked absolutely <laughs> divine. Yes, it's gorgeous. It's contributed very kindly by Greg Farm Organics. Um, and it's a beautiful recipe. And I remember my father cooking it for Boxing Day. And this was just before the government restrictions came in once again. And he cut this massive full rib of beef and he plated up about 10 dishes for his neighbours so they could all enjoy it. Oh, so it does, go, it does go quite far. Yes. 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 <laughs> really so nice. well, I'm de definitely going to be trying that one. Now, the book was published last year. Yes, it was published in July 2020. And the success of that has now led to a second book, For the Love of the Sea. That's right. It's my second book. It's called For the Love of the Sea, and it's a cookbook to celebrate the British seafood community and their food. So similarly to For the Love of the Land, over 40 passionate people from within the British seafood community have contributed both a recipe and a story about what the sea and what British seafood means to them. And Marcus Coleman, the chief executive of Seafish, has very kindly written the foreword to the book. And Seafish have actually collaborated with DEFRA at the moment, having launched a marketing campaign under their Love Seafood initiative um, to really help and in to really get the British public fall in love again with British 
British fish and seafood. The timing of this is fantastic because obviously I know there's been a lot in the news about the challenges that British uh, fishermen particularly are, are having. And I think one of, one of the things that was was really interesting for me is we saw some some of the sample pages from the, from, from the book and um, the first recipe that I looked at, which immediately grabbed my attention, uh, which is from Amy O'Brien, who uh, is, I think, in Newlyn in Cornwall, which was lemon coconut dull with, with monk, monkfish, which just looks amazing. And I will definitely be doing that. But what was interesting about her story is she was saying that that she fishes, um, catches sardines and anchovies. And anchovies in the UK really have no value um, of what's caught, which is I find incredible. And then sardines, there's no canning done at all in the UK anymore, that actually the sardines then have to be sent to France or Spain to be canned. And as a country, we're not tending to eat fresh sardines. We preferred them canned. And of course, there's been also this whole thing about renaming certain fish as well to make them more appealing, I think, isn't there? Definitely. Um, so the UK seafood sector is really reeling from a double blow from COVID-19 on the hospitality sector and also Brexit-related issues. And I think what people are finding is that there is no overnight ban, which is what the media have been reported, um, because fishing waters are graded according to their water quality, A, B and C, and A being excellent, and most of the fishing waters are grade B. And this means that shellfish such as mussels, oysters, scallops, cockles and clams have to be purified before they can be sold on. So as members of the EU, we were able to sell on unpurified shellfish quite quickly, which could then be purified at these plants in the EU. But now that we are a third country, our food standards no longer align and legally we're not allowed to export unpurified fish. And some of these fishermen and fishing companies have these purification plants and the infrastructure to do that, but many do not. And what we're finding is, is that the consequence of this is that many fishing companies who have been fishing for years and years and years will just go out of business and that will happen overnight. And I think the government should have been prepared for it. I think they did see it coming. And I think there needs to be more intensive reporting from the media about this because the story isn't getting out there properly um, and with the right facts. So the book isn't really political at all. A lot of the stories are very emotive, showing historical and tradition and culture within the fishing industry especially. Um, but it's not political. But I think there's a lot of political balance behind it, which has definitely come out at a time which is quite delicate to a lot of people's livelihoods. It is that understanding how strong our local suppliers are. You know, at a time in, certainly in the first lockdown, I think it's been less in the second, but in the first lockdown, when you'd go into a supermarket and shelves would be empty, and yet where you could get your food and ingredients and everything was from your local suppliers and your local farm shops who were being amazing. I've certainly discovered some local farm shops and local suppliers around here in Dorset that I will continue to use. And I think that's that's the message as well for people is don't just use them when times are, are more difficult but continue to use them and support them. A lot of what you buy in the in the supermarkets have been, you know, flown in. It's high on air miles. It's out of season. And, and, and as you know, on the podcast, one of the things that we're very keen on is, you know, seasonal ingredients. And again, that goes to, you know, using your local farmers and your local, your local fishermen as well. Definitely. I think it's really important to support our British farmers and British fishermen and our suppliers and producers. And I think you're right, especially with the global pandemic. This is really 
really highlighted the importance of buying locally, buying seasonally, buying sustainably, and above all, buying British. And that's really one way that your listeners and what you and me can do is, is to help. The book is published next month. Yes, right? it's published on the 12th of April. And Fantastic. it's very exciting. And it's published by Meze Publishing. And yes, it will be out soon. And that will be available from All Good Bookshops, Waterstones, online. Absolutely. You can yes. also go to my website, www.jennyjeffries.co.uk. And you can also follow us on social media on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram called For the Love of the Land and the Sea. So it would be really interesting to see your deliveries of the book and see what you cook up at home, which would be amazing. Fantastic. Now, as well as all that, you are also a food hero for Love British Food, which promotes the diverse variety of British produce. And that that's that's only just happened, I think, that you've become a food hero for that. That's right. Literally about a few days ago, um, I became a food a Love British Food hero, which means that we all help each other to really celebrate the sustainable, high animal welfare and environment enhancing great British produce that we have in our country. So we're all flying the flag for British farming and the British seafood industry. Absolutely. And actually, I, I would just, just mention it's really worth uh, visiting the Love British Food website as well, because on there, um, they do have an association with a company that can actually tell you who your local suppliers are in your area as well. You just put in your address or postcode and it will tell you who a lot of the suppliers around. So it's really uh, it's a really worthwhile website to to visit. Have you got any ideas for further books? Um, not at this moment. And I remember literally two days after publishing my first book, For the Love of the Land, a mummy friend asked me, how is your second book going? And I was thinking, oh my goodness, should I start be thinking about that already? So at the moment, there isn't any plans. Um, but I always feel like I need a little project on the go. So maybe never say never. Well, hopefully, when you get to the third book, you'll come back and talk to us again. Definitely. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, I'd love to mention that um, where there's, I really fundamentally believe that where there's an opportunity to earn, there's an opportunity to give. So um, a proportion of my royalties from the first book has been donated to the National Literary Trust. And also 22% of my net profits has been donated to the Royal National Lifeboat Institution from the sales of The Love of the Sea. Oh, so it'd be wonderful for you to go out and really support a good cause and get some ideas on what to cook as well. Absolutely. So, yes, and because uh, you've got, so your, I know schools have just gone back. Are your kids now back at school as well, or were you? Uh... They are back at school, but I've, I've been very fortunate. My husband is a key worker because he's a farmer, um, and I busy work with our self catering cottages, um, which are converted barns on, on, on the farm. So, my daughter has been going to school all throughout um, the last lockdown, and also my daughter's been going to nursery. So, I, I've been very lucky from that point of view, but she's got all her friends back and it's really lovely. And I'm sure yeah. there are lots of very happy parents and carers all over England who are very, you know, pleased that, you know, there's a sense of normality beginning to happen now. So there's a glimmer of hope, I think, hopefully. Yes, it was it was very strange the other day and the, the, the day they went back and you, I, I went out and needed to go and get some get some food, actually. And um, there were school kids around. It was just really, really strange. <laughs> um, and you, yeah. it's been so long. 
It's been such a long time for everyone. Everyone, It's been, you know, nearly a year and people haven't seen their friends and family and we haven't been able to entertain food-wise with our friends and family, which is something that, I've, you know, I always love doing. Um, and so I haven't seen my father since November. Um, I, my mother is part of our childcare bubble. So I'm really looking forward to sort of a little bit of our fresco dining from April and yes. having some, you know, a few friends and family around, which would be wonderful. Yeah, I think we're, we're feeling exactly the same it will uh i can't wait to do a big dinner party again outside but barbecue or whatever but at least get some yeah <laughs> cook yes. for more than two of us <laughs> would be really nice yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> definitely tip of the week what's your tip of the week my tip, and actually we haven't really got tips this week, but I want to reiterate what Jenny said in her interview, and that is actually buy local wherever you can. Yes. Go to your butchers, go to your greengrocers, buy your flowers from your local flower farmer, you know, support local businesses because, you know, really they, through these awful, this past awful year, that has what has kept us all going. I agree. And I reiterate and i also am just non-food related but i also just want to highlight a website called bookshop.org which as we know a lot of the online book uh, sales are dominated by one particular online retailer which whilst very good from um from a price point of view and convenient and convenience really challenging local bookshops who i think are just a fantastic resource um if you like books and you like reading as regular listeners know we do quite like books and cookbooks here they support your local bookshop so you are able to go onto their website order books from them but it comes from your local bookshop and you can specify which uh which shop you want to support and it's a brilliant brilliant uh idea and has really taken off over the pandemic and i would urge people to have a look and if possible use that to if you fancy buying any of the books that we mention uh in the podcast go there um and uh and support your local bookshop. And of course, if they don't have them, they can order them in. Absolutely. I mean, they're so accommodating. Um, and obviously, while you're picking that up from your local bookshop, you can then go to your local greengrocer and get your Kalettes. Yes. And just to also reiterate, bookshop.org, do, they do home delivery. So you are able to do they Oh, do able, they? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But also probably click and collect as well. That's our tip for this week. Lovely. Well, it's been a packed episode so far, and we're not finished yet. No. Because. Flower of the week. Which is. Anemone. 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 Yeah. Okay. Anemone. I can't say it. No, no, no. But I can't say burgula. I can't say binoculars. Binoculars. But I can't say binoculars. Binoculars. I I love that. I've never been able to say it. Really? Yeah. Let's move on. An enemy introduced from Greece in the 16th century. Okay. It comes from a corn or a bulb and it flowers March to May 
And it comes, the word anemone comes from the Greek word for wind flower. So, I know, <laughs> not wind flower, <laughs> wind flower. And according to Greek mythology, the anemone sprang from Aphrodite's tears as she mourned the death of Adonis. Apparently, red anemones sprang up where his droplets of blood fell. Oh. Yeah, so a little bit of history about the anemone. In uh, Greek mythology. In Greek mythology. It's thought to bring luck and protect against evil. Now, I, we will, I'll put some pictures on um, Instagram, and I wonder if it's to protect from evil because it's got quite a big centre, which quite dark, which looks like an eye. Right. You know how the Turkish yes. have that yeah. eye symbol, and yeah. I wonder if that, I don't know, I'm just surmising. And it's yeah, said to protect against evil, and legend has it that when the anemone closes its petals, it's a sign that rain is approaching. So quite a lot in English. So basically it's closed all, all the time. time. <laughs> yes. But it comes in a lovely blues and dark reds. Are you familiar with me? I'm I'm thinking. Um and I'm, I'm not I think I might, but I'm not I'm not sure. But it's a great cut flower, picks really well, um, and has a good vase life, which I am all about. Because it's so nice to be able to pick a bunch And it doesn't of kill other flam- plants like not, the murderous daffodil no, of last it's week. It's not like the daffodil. It will leach its poisonous yeah. sap into the water. <laughs> oh, I do. Right. Okay. You do know them. Yes, I do. Yes. Beautiful colour. Yeah, it is. That's a, that's a lavender. But you see what I mean? They've got that very yes. dark. But no, I will take a photo and put it on so, so that you can see. So they this grow is, from bulbs. They're called corms. Cotton. Again, because it's not like a bulb. I don't know how why. many different words. Oh, I know it's like a new, things. but then it's like cooking, isn't it? There's so many different vocabulary and different words well, for yes, cooking. I so. so you know, it's just. And is does it grow once or does it grow? Again? It'll come back. Again. It'll come back again. if it doesn't rot. If you leave it in soggy soil, it'll rot. Right. Okay. So uh, do you have to dig them up? And no, then I leave them? my. Yeah, I, they're a bit hardier than some, so you can leave them in. Okay. And they'll pop up. Well, that's the end of a very packed episode. One more thing. What, what's that thing called that you uh, look through at a distance uh, from? The binoculars. <laughs> and what was the flower of the week? Anemone. <laughs> Anemone. 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 There you go. Binoculars. Binoculars. <laughs> yeah, okay. Right. I think right. we better finish. I think we better. Note. So... Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much to Jenny Jeffries uh, for joining us. For, and buy her cookbook. Uh, definitely buy her cookbook. Go to bookshop.org. To buy her cookbook. cookbook through your local uh, bookshop. Also, I'm not sure I should admit this, but we really want to thank Jenny because we actually had to record the interview twice. Take two. Uh, because we... We did the first interview. It was absolutely fantastic. I had a slight issue with my computer, and the only thing that recorded was me. And obviously, as Charlotte will tell you, I do try and make things all about me, but that was a little extreme because the whole interview was just me uh, and then loads of blank spaces. Uh, so we're really grateful to Jenny to agree to uh, do the interview all over again with us, and thank you very much thank for you, that. Jenny. Don't forget, we're on 
your favorite podcast platform. Uh, you can please leave uh, reviews, comments, uh, and you can also uh, follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Voyage Around My Arga. You can email us at voyagearoundmyarga at gmail.com and we're on Twitter at Arga Voyage. So with that, we look forward to speaking with you again next week. And for now, bye. Bye. bye.